Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Straight ahead on the insiders, how is your retirement savings looking? Do you even have any? We'll talk with a native Iowan. She's leading a national organization trying to convince Congress to make it easier for people who have little or nothing in a retirement plan. But see what she says is stopping Congress from already agreeing to this. Plus, Biden is in for 2020. We'll look at the VP's entrance into this presidential race and how some of the other Democrats are pushing their own big ideas. And in the Insider's Quick Six, Vanilla Orange Coke, anyone? We'll get an insider's take on some new tastes for a new future for the big beverage companies. Good morning on this final Sunday in April. 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, pensions. There are numerous options for retirement plans, but some businesses can't afford to offer any of those. Susan Neely is an Iowa City native, former Terry Branstead staffer, and she's now leading a national group pushing Congress to help small businesses band together to offer their own plans. But we are talking about Congress here. We have a Democratic House, a Republican Senate. So I asked her, really, is there a bipartisan way to make this happen? You're right to be skeptical. I don't disagree with that. But here, here's the uh, secret sauce. Huge need. Uh, retirement savings crisis that's looming. Social Security won't pay its bills by 2034. 10,000 baby boomers a day turning 65 between now and uh, 2027. And there's a great need. Need and bipartisan support. That's the thing. Chairman Grassley and the loyal opposition, uh, Congressman Ryan Wyden, the ranking member, have introduced the same piece of legislation. Same deal on the House. That's what makes me optimistic. When there's a will, there's a way. All right, so these numbers I'm seeing, and I, I'm just, I just found a, something from Northwestern Mutual, but one in three Americans have less than 5,000 saved for retirement, and one in five don't have anything at all. So how will what you're pushing address that? Well, one of the things it does, a lot of where the need is is in small employers, right? Because they lack the means to offer 401ks and things like that. For those of us who work for bigger companies, uh, and the state of Iowa is is you know, on the top three in terms of having people covered by workplace retirement savings, which almost 70% of Iowans have that resource. So that's great. But if you work for a smaller employer and you don't have worker, uh, your employer offering retirement, that's a problem. One of the things this bill will do will make it easier for small businesses to band together to offer retirement savings. So a florist and um, a printer could set up a... um, it's their own pool to offer a 401k to their employees. So that's a big deal. There's other smaller things. These sound like small technical things, but they actually kind of liberate the private marketplace to do its thing and make uh, more retirement available to okay, people. You, you talked about bipartisan, and these seem like sort of small changes. So why has this not already happened then? What's the opposition? Well, some of it is just... Uh, uh, ironically, I guess, because there's so much support for this, it has gotten bogged down by people, members of Congress, trying to attach other measures to it, uh, to something that's popular. But it's really an issue whose time has come. I think 
the chairman of the major committees that are driving this, Chairman Grassley, Chairman Neal on the House side are optimistic. They're bullish. You know, part of our job is, okay, let's march on Washington. If we need to, let's, you know, help them get the support. So that what, that's what makes it optimistic. But the key is this is just a start. There's another bigger idea out there that will be the next, you know, one-two punch, and um, we're all in for that too. And that is? And so that is, back to those small employers, it's an idea that Chairman Neal has in Ways and Means, he's from Massachusetts, and it would uh, require employers with more than 11 employees to offer a retirement savings vehicle for their employees and you'd automatically be enrolled. Now you could opt out, but we know, because we've got actuaries and other people that tell us this stuff, that most people don't. So with this plan, 30 million more Americans would have access to retirement savings, and our prediction is at least 22 million would take advantage of it. Um, but you know politics, you know why that one's controversial. There's an employer requirement in it. Sure. Um, so we're making the argument as, a, as, as the insurance leaders that the need is great, there's a looming crisis, and this is actually a pretty soft requirement. This isn't a big government program. It's not a tax increase. It's uh, nudging small business uh, employers to make something available to their employees. Uh, you represent life insurers, so what's their part of this? So um, our members, 95% of uh, the industry, one-third of our business is life insurance, and two-thirds is retirement savings. And life insurers are the only ones to offer annuities, which is kind of like your old-fashioned pension. It's a guaranteed source of income. So that's our stake in it. Um, we know a lot about this. We actually had actuaries there when Social Security was formed, helping the federal government figure out how to do Social Security. And we just think it's the right thing to do. Uh, you've been around politics for a while. So you even brought this up about Social Security. So we're seeing that we have how many more years till it's solvent here? Less than 20, right? That's right. About so, 16. There's just a report out yesterday. So right. that's the timely information. So that's a big chunk of what used to be considered guaranteed money when we mm -hmm, retire, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And if you start looking at those polls that show most people, especially younger people, have serious doubts that either that will be there in its yeah, yeah, yeah. current form mm -hmm. or in any form when they get to that point. So how, did, how does that piece fit into this? Well. Social Security needs to continue to exist, and we're going to have to deal with the solvency issues for those people who just have no other means. But that, you know, those millennials are right. I think at the poll I saw, 71% don't think Social Security will exist. Which is incredible. That's an incredible amount. It is an amount, but that means they're worried, millennials are worried about, well, what's my other recourse? Well, that's the employer-provided option, right? And, you know, gives you a way that you can start saving now. Um, so we think there's got to be Social Security in some form, but it was always, it was never meant to be a, your sole source of retirement income. So policymakers, industry leaders and others have to fix that. But we also need to put the private marketplace on steroids so more people can help themselves. When you talk about this ability for small businesses to get together, for example, then if you and I quit our jobs and start our own firm. Mm -hmm. We have an, a firm yes. of two. Yes. Are we too small? Can this be for anybody? If it's, I mean, on my own, how does this affect everybody? Well, a couple ways. If the bill that I think is going to pass and I'm bullish on this year, okay. that means you and I could find um, 
two or three other firms and get some scale and then uh, offer a retirement savings vehicle. So it just, it, you know, it spreads the legal and the financial responsibilities sure. and makes it easier. This uh, bigger plan that's kind of the next, um, the next shoe to drop, we believe, that would require small employers to offer uh, savings vehicles, they could do that as easily as just, you could have a payroll deduction for an IRA. That's not, you know, in the notion of mandates, I don't think that's much of a mandate. That's going to a bank and saying, can you give my um, fine employees here the chance to deduct a little something from their payroll? Maybe they want to go all the way to a 401k, but they wouldn't have to. It could be as simple as an IRA. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering, because as we read more and more stories about, you know, people making a living Ubering or yes. whatever it is yes. where you don't really have yes. any employer, then you kind of get left out in all this mix uh, the way it is right now, right? Yes, the, the gig economy as we all talk about it. And so that's where it's really, the focus has got to be on the small employer and making it easier, you know, to give them ways to help people save individually. Um, for their retirement. Uh, you used the term secret sauce when we started this conversation. As you step back and look at the dynamics of Washington, especially as we have a presidential election and all kinds of other things up for grabs next year, including potentially the balance of power in Washington, how do you, what's your secret sauce as far as talking to people? You have an ally with Senator Grassley, a man you've known for a long time, but how, how do you approach, how do you converse, how do you, when you, because the only way this happens now is it has to be bipartisan. Yeah, we have a Democratic yeah. House and a Republican Senate. Yeah. So how, do, how does that work? You, got, you always start with what the need is, what's irrefutable. Those statistics you started this whole discussion we're having with. There's an irrefutable need. Anybody disagree with that? Republican, Democrat? No. All right, so what are some of the solutions? And then, you know, my job and people who do what I do, we're listening closely. Well, you're a Democratic leader. What do you object to in what I just said? You're a Republican leader. What do you object to? You try to, you know, you just keep, you keep cooking the sauce until you get to, uh, to soup. But, but you said one of the challenges with this is that you've got something that seems fairly popular, but because it's the way things are, they try to attach. Yes. You know, we see it at the state house, we see it at Congress. So how do you how do you keep it clean? You stay tenacious. So we've been we've had a couple times almost to goal, and it's now really, it's this issue's turn, and that's where then just leadership, uh, not just uh, Chairman Grassley and Congressman Wyden, but McConnell and Schumer have to say, okay, you're right. It's it's this issue's turn right now. So, you know, members have to use, there's a lot of horse trading that goes on behind the scenes. Members have to use their individual chits to say, we're gonna do this one now, and here's how we're gonna do it. It's a process, but it works. Susan will be back for the quick six later. We will get a quick tour from her resume from the past on things like soda, George W. Bush, Terry Branstead, and adoption. But up next, quite an announcement at the Iowa State House before this legislative session wrapped up. We'll listen in to why a lawmaker can no longer be a Republican. Andy McKean will not be getting a Christmas card from President Donald Trump this year. It's not because McKean was a bad lawyer, because they don't like his square dance calling or anything like that back in Jones County. He did spend nearly three decades in the Iowa legislature as a Republican senator and House member representing Anamosa in eastern Iowa, but he is now done, at least as a Republican. His decision to switch parties to now become a Democrat and the reasons why, 
became national news. Washington Post, Fox News, New York Times, National Public Radio, all kinds of others I found that did stories on his decision. Now, McKean started in the Iowa House way back in 1979. He moved over to the Senate in 93. He left in 03. Then he got back into the House in 2017. But he says too much changed while he was away. Let's listen in to why he says he can no longer be a Republican. The legislature is considerably more partisan and regimented than it used to be. I have found that difficult to adjust to and believe it often stands in the way of good legislation. I'm also concerned by the increasing influence of big money on the legislative process. In addition, I found a very changed Republican caucus. Although I have great respect for the speaker and majority leader and appreciate their efforts to find a role for me in the caucus, I found myself increasingly uncomfortable with the stance of my party on the vast majority of high-profile <laughs> issues and often sympathetic with the concerns raised by the minority caucus. I voted against many of these priorities, spoke in opposition to them in committee and on the floor, or worked for changes uh, to make what I considered questionable legislation somewhat better. At any rate, I know that I have disappointed and angered at least some of my caucus in the process. It is not a role I relish, and perhaps I've been unfair to both my caucus and to myself by continuing to serve in it. I appreciate the members of my caucus respect their passion for what they believe in, and I'm sorry that I haven't been able to be a better team player. I might have limped along attempting to work within my caucus for what I felt was in the best interest of the people I represent if it hadn't been for another factor. With the 2020 presidential election looming on the horizon, I feel as a Republican that I need to be able to support the standard bearer of our party Unfortunately, that is something I'm unable to do. I believe that it is just a matter of time before our party pays a heavy price for President Trump's reckless spending and short-sighted financial policies, his erratic, destabilizing foreign policy, and his disregard for environmental concerns. Furthermore, he sets, in my opinion, a poor example for the nation and particularly for our children, by personally insulting, often in a crude and juvenile fashion, those who disagree with him, being a bully at a time when we're attempting to discourage bullying, his frequent disregard for the truth, and his willingness to ridicule or marginalize people for their appearance, ethnicity, or disability. McKean is the second Iowa lawmaker to lead the Republican Party because of Donald Trump. David Johnson was the other. He was a Republican House and Senate member for about 20 years, but he determined Trump was a, quote, bigot. So he became an independent back in 2016. Then he eventually retired in 2018. No Democratic lawmaker has quit that party to become a Republican because of Donald Trump. Joni Ernst is running for re-election as a Republican next year. We'll listen in to how she talked to me about the president next. Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst has largely backed President Trump's policies, but not always his language or his behavior. 
Here is part of what she told me after special counsel Robert Mueller's report on any ties between the Trump campaign and Russia went public. The president um, has not participated in collusion. Uh, that is obvious through this report. Uh, the president is very brash, and people don't like that. But I think, you know, has he done well for the American people? I think he has. Uh, do you agree, as some have said as they read this report, that some of his own people stopped him from illegal things happening? Well, again, the president is very brash. Um, he is a businessman and maybe not along the lines of a typical politician. But as long as he surrounds himself with good people, he should be able to stay on the straight and narrow. Joe Biden brings a well-known name to this 2020 presidential race. Next, his entrance and some big ideas some of his rivals are pushing. Former Vice President Joe Biden is in his first weekend as an official Democratic presidential candidate this time around. This is his third run. Here's how he entered. Everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Other Democrats made their own news this past week. Now, regardless of whether you're the Boston Marathon bomber or any other criminal behind bars, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders said you should still have your right to vote. You may no longer need to work two jobs after you graduate from college or live in your buddy's basement like I did to pay back your student loans. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren's $1.5 trillion plan would eliminate or cancel part of 95% of Americans' student loan debt, according to her campaign. Gun owners, you could see changes under California Senator Kamala Harris. She threatened that if Congress does not act when she's president, she will sign an executive order to mandate background checks for most gun dealers and block some domestic abusers from being able to buy guns. And you want to start a business and don't know how? Entrepreneur and former Maryland Congressman John Delaney says he will create what he's calling an entrepreneurship czar to help with research, mentoring, and making sure government regulations do not get in the way. A couple of the big ideas we've heard this past week. The future of Coke and Pepsi, Terry Branstad's complicated life in China, and a prediction. Susan Neely is back for the Insider's Quick Six. Time for the Insider's Quick Six with Susan Neely. Question one, you had been, before this job, the president of the American Beverage Association, right? How will soda survive? So we're reading all these stories about millennials don't drink soda like their parents did or whatever. How are they going to survive? Soda still tastes great. They're adding flavors uh, and uh, kids, my own kids and others like it. But there's also sparkling water with a drop of fruit. That is like the new diet soft drink out there and it's going like gangbusters. All right, question two. You graduated from Iowa, uh -huh. but you also got your MPA from Drake. When those two schools play in basketball, for whom do you root? Uh, you know, I not only graduated from Iowa, but I grew up in Iowa City. Go Hawks, go Hawks, go Hawks. All right, it's your true loyalty. Uh, question three, you also worked for George W. Bush when he was president, right? I did. What is the most misunderstood thing about that man? how much he supported women in leadership roles in his administration. I had been, had 20 years on my career before I was ever in an environment where there were so many powerful women that had true influence with the president, and I give George W. Bush credit for that. 
Uh, question four, before that, you were Terry Branstad's press secretary when he was governor, right? Yes. Um, his current job as ambassador to China, so he serves a president's very explosive, unpredictable. How do you think Ambassador Branstad handles the day-to-day -day of that uncertainty based on what you remember, what it was like to work for him? Uh, Ambassador Branstad always does his homework. He knows the issue's cold. He treats everybody unfailingly with respect and um, is always interested. He's, he's going to all the provinces of China now, just as he did all 99 counties. And I think that stands him in good stead no matter what. And he's never afraid to speak his mind um, behind closed doors or uh, anywhere else. Uh, question five, uh, outside of your work, you also do some volunteer work when it comes to adoption. Yes. What is something that we can do collectively as a country to better support kids who need families and families who want to take in children? Well, foster care and the number of children that get relegated to foster care is a big issue and it's something every governor in this country, I think Republican or Democrat, is concerned about because there's a need, child welfare need, and there's an opportunity. So I think uh, focusing on how to empower the foster care system, making it easier for people to participate um, would be a big help. All right, we always end with a prediction. So what do you have, what's your prediction? I predict that in my lifetime, we will have a woman president. I don't know which side of the aisle could be your fine uh, leaders here, Governor Reynolds or Senator Ernst, but I predict we'll have a woman president. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Let's stay connected throughout the week. We'll see you next Sunday for the Insiders.